0: All right, let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for keeping this building open for us. We know that it's by your divine providence that you do so. Thank you so much for the word of truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for giving us this time, uh, this moment that you've ordained from eternity past to insert this message into our souls we know that everything you do is good father so this evening is good we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us for a variety of reasons including sickness we pray also for those that are still lost in this world father that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late we are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for all of us to enjoy. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 18. On Sunday, We begin with some encouragement. Let's go back there quickly. Go to Philippians 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1. I'll truncate it a little bit. Uh, Again, Philippians 2, 1. Wonderful thing. Wonderful form of encouragement for all of us. A lot of heavy, uh, what I would call heavy lifting um, in these messages as of late. You know, they're weighty. They're uh, convicting. Sometimes you can walk away a little bruised, you know, heavy-hearted even. And so it's good to get this kind of encouragement. Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, We're going to end this way. We're going to come full circle this evening with the topic of love. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jump forward to verse 12. Verse 12. Paul continues, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we're encouraged, um, but we have to humble ourselves. We have to be humble when we read a passage like that. Is it encouraging? Absolutely. But when we get to doctrinal statements like verse 13, uh, for it is God who works in you, we have to be humble about it for his good pleasure. And this is what true humility looks like. Up here on the board, I gave you this on Sunday. The, you know, the quote-unquote secret to strength is humility. The secret to strength is humility. Humility is our greatest source of strength and courage. And courage is really just applied faith. Why? Because we put the onus of victory on the Lord's strength instead of our own. That's really encouraging. With the right mindset, with the right perspective, you realize that's extremely encouraging because he's offering, has offered, really. I mean, he's already taken on our sin. He's offering to take on our burdens. He's offering to take on our anxieties. He's offering to take on all the things that weigh us down. So we put that onus of overcoming those things that sort of press us down, the onus of that victory on his strength, instead of our own. Um, And that's humility. That's what humility looks like. I'm not going to do it myself. That's what humility looks like. This kind of humility ensures we are functioning in God's economy, not the world's. As soon as we take it on ourselves, we've just ejected ourselves from God's economy, his way of doing things, his pathway to success, to victory, to being an overcomer. We've ejected ourselves from that to the world's way of doing it, put it on my own shoulders. You know, I've been working out, like a got broad shoulders, You know, I can handle it, I can do it, I can handle it. I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman. As soon as you do that, you've ejected, you've become arrogant, you've abandoned humility, and you've become arrogant. That's the, that's the gist of what humility looks like. I'll give it to you, Lord. That's what humility looks like. So this kind of humility ensures we are functioning in God's economy, not the world's. The world's economy is solely based on creature credit. That's the currency. It's based on creature credit. And the more currency you have, you know, the wealthier you are in that economy. So if you're a you know, self-made person. You might have a lot of uh, currency. You might be rich. You might have a lot of what the world esteems, which makes you wealthy in that economy. You have a lot to spend, a lot to merchandise with, a lot to trade with. So again, the more currency you have, the wealthier you are in that economy. Now, here's the interesting thing that the Spirit has me presenting to you this evening. After that, we've done a lot of work on, you know, wealth and the trappings of wealth and the love of money, all that kind of good stuff. But after that wealth is gained in the world economy, um, after a person becomes, you know, super rich, let's just say, you know, you scratch, your bite your way through that economy and you become super rich, what happens after that is often they go into Positions of power, it's, you know, politics or social programming, this kind of a thing. You know, power becomes the next thing, sort of the, the last frontier, the last thing to conquer. I've made my money, right? I'm wealthy. Now it's about power. After a person has too much money to even spend... The only thing left to pursue that will separate them in the realm of creature credit is power. It's about power. This is often when they become dangerous to others because power, let's face it, is a relative term to others. If you're powerful, that's an adjective, right? There has to be a baseline. There has to be other people. Compared to who? I mean, if everybody's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're not that powerful. But if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and you're me, I mean, come on, you're going to be a lot more powerful than I am. You understand? It's all relative. Power is a relative term. So they become dangerous when they start seeking power. And this is the natural progression of wealth built up in the world's economy. so they become dangerous to others because power is relative to others by default. Technically, to be fair, you can have a lot of money and choose to exert little or no power over others, but, you know, few seem to pass that test. Most people, when they come into wealth or have wealth or, you know, money, they tend to assert themselves a little bit more. Social power seems to be the thing that evil folks aspire to. Social power seems to be the thing that evil folks aspire to. And this is not just uh, me talking about America or my ex- This is biblical, right? This is biblical. We have one King of Kings and one Lord of Lords, but when your thinking is evil, you want that position. That's the point. You may not say it out loud, but that's what you're after. You want to usurp his sovereign power, even in your own life and in the lives of others. Think of Satan. What's his title? In uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's called the God of this world. What did his aspirations look like? Go to Isaiah 14.13. Isaiah 14, 13. So we'll start with the original sinner, um, Satan himself, who in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 is called the God of this world. What did his aspirations look like? We know that this world in, in his realm is evil. What did his aspirations look like, though? How did he end up the God of this world? And how did it end up so evil? Well, look at Isaiah 14, 13. You said, Isaiah 14, 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. He's talking about Satan here. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set or sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That was, those were Satan's five core, if you would, aspirations. Wealth seems to be the stepping stone to this kind of thinking. Wealth seems to be the stepping stone to this kind of thinking. Let's use Satan again, since he's a perfect example of just this. For context, we're going to read uh, Ezekiel 28. The king of Tyre that we're going to read about was possessed by Satan himself, uh, at least most likely, uh, the way most theologians translate this, myself included, the way I look at it. So when we read the following passage, we are reading about a heart that is lockstep with Satan's. The same one we just read. Now as we do, I want you to pay special attention to the wealth that this man had prior to his fall. As the old adage goes, uh, pride precedes the fall, right? Well, wealth is often the source of great pride. Go to Ezekiel 28, verse 1. Ezekiel 28, verse 1. So we have Satan's motivation, the five I wills, as folks like to call them, that culminated in, I will be like the Most High. Well, look at this person here who was possessed by Satan. And look at the progression here. I, Ezekiel 28, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel 28, 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the prince, also known as the king of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, of the gods, in the heart of the seas, Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a god. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you, but your wisdom and your understanding, or by your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself. Okay, so in comes wealth, right? And have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade you have increased your wealth. And your heart has become what? Proud in your wealth. Your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. So what do we see here? That's the same pattern I alluded to earlier. Wealth precedes pride. Pride leads to, I want to be like the Most High. I want to be God. I want to be a usurper. That's the vector. Do you understand? That's the danger of all that the Spirit's been talking about regarding wealth even. Up here in the board, the danger of wealth, wealth is the breeding ground for arrogance that naturally evolves into a power hunger. Again, wealth is the breeding ground for arrogance that naturally evolves into a power hunger. A corrupt heart precedes both forms of evil. The heart sets the vector, if you would, says, I wanna, I'm proud, I'm going that way, luck and determination achieve the end goal. But again, this is the danger of it. Do you understand this is the danger of it all kinds of trappings in the bible tied to wealth because people are never satisfied with wealth they figure out once they have all that money and all that wealth they're still not satisfied and they say crap now what power now i go after power i will be my own god that idea of sort of Percolates up in, in a person individually. Oh, the only thing left is power. What, how can I dominate? How can I, it sounds like Tashuka, right? How can I dominate? How can I assert my power now? Oh, and by the way, it's really easy when you have a lot of wealth. Because for some god awful reason, people pay attention to you when you're wealthy. <laughs> Why? It literally makes zero sense. As a little side note, uh, some of you know this, but I've been uh, thinking a lot about why God never gave the Levites. Remember, the Levites were the, were the priests, right? The Levites were the priest tribe in the Old Testament in Israel, right? And I've been thinking a lot why God never gave the Levites uh, land of their own when he gave out land to Israel. If you read the Old Testament, you know that the Levites uh, weren't given... Land as their inheritance, up here on the board, Joshua 13:33, reads, "But to the tribe of Levi, the priests, Moses gave no inheritance. Very peculiar. only tribe he did that to. the priests. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. In other words, the Lord it was I guess the right way to say, it, almost selfish towards the priests, the shepherds. He said, I'm your inheritance. How about that? You get to spend all this extra time uh, doing my will for my people. That's your inheritance. I don't want your mind distracted by land ownership. Again, but to the tribe of Levi, the priests, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he Said to them, I believe God wants his shepherds unstained by wealth. That's what I believe. Unstained by wealth. Doesn't mean they can't have it and survive it. But for whatever reason, I think he tries to, or he wants to remove that stumbling block from a shepherd's uh, path, if you would. And uh, this is embarrassing, but I've, also, I've, I've often told you of my plans about a decade ago, you know, to take this ministry down to South Carolina. Remember that whole thing? About 10 years ago when I was stupid. I mean, I invested in a bunch of land. I had two properties down there. I was, woo, we're going to do this thing, right? I lost my shirt. You have no, I lost so much money, it's ridiculous. Tammy's like, yeah. God smashed those plans. My point is that I think we shepherds need to steer clear of any temptations regarding wealth and its subsequent desire for social power even. Remember that vector. It starts with wealth and then it moves naturally to power. Again, We shepherds need to steer clear of any temptations regarding wealth and its subsequent desire for social power even. A pastor's job is to feed the flock. That's my job. It's to feed the flock, not become rich off of the word of God, and certainly not to become political. My job is to feed the flock, doing what I'm doing right now, It's not to become rich off the word of God, nor should it be to become political. A pastor's job is to work on the souls of those left in his charge and remain unstained by the temptations to wealth and social programming, etc., etc. That is not our job. Do you understand? It's not my job. It's not any pastor's job. Our job is to focus on souls of believers. So here's a pastor's job lest he forget and start making bad decisions that harm the flock. Go to Ephesians 4:11. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Here's a pastor's job. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, you know that, that that's hyphenated, pastor, teacher, right? Verse 11. For what reason? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Technically speaking, a local assembly like this one isn't even for evangelizing, though it can and does happen. But the purpose of this local assembly is to feed the flock, is to train up the sheep. Can we evangelize? Sure. Again, the primary goal of a church, a Christian church, a pastor, his job is over sheep. Christ said, These are my sheep. You're my under shepherd. He didn't say, Go shepherd the ones that aren't my sheep. He said, shepherd my sheep. If you love me, Peter, right? Shepherd my sheep. That's the job of a pastor, to shepherd believers. That should be the focal point of their ministry, to tend to souls that are already saved. I think some pastors get confused about this simple fact. All right, that's just a little side note that God had me studying out for a few months now, actually. Um, Back to the pattern, though, we just noted with the king of Tyre. First, we noted he was very wealthy. Second, he became so arrogant that he usurped the rightful place of God, setting himself up, as the word said, as a god. You see the vector he was on? He became very wealthy. Then he said, I got all this power. I'm going I'm to be like God. I'm going to usurp God's authority. In other words, after wealth, an arrogant person naturally seeks power. And power, in this sense, implies an intrusion on the rights of others. That's what power is. It's often... In, when it's used in this context, an intrusion on the rights of others. Here's what the Bible has to say on this. Go to Proverbs 29, verse 7. Proverbs 29, verse 7. Here's what the Bible has to say about that little topic. People become wealthy, the next thing you know, they're seeking power because they want to influence other people with that power. They become gods in their own minds, and then as any god would do, they start inflicting um, their thoughts, their motives, their goals on other people. They start what we would call exercising this newfound power over others, even though it's ungodly. Proverbs 29, verse 7 A righteous man knows the the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. A wise man has an argument with a fool. The fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Do you recall what happened to the king of Tyre? (laughs) God eventually smashed him. I guess his throne wasn't established forever, huh? I love verse 14. The king of Tyre is a proverb for those God has installed in a place of authority. And by the way, this week's blog is titled, What Exactly Is Authority Orientation? Hopefully you'll read it. What exactly is authority orientation? The king of Tyre is an illustration of what not to do when God chooses to place you in a position of power. When he allows that line out, allows you to, you know, run the line out. He says, okay, I'll let you get there. What are you going to do when you get there? You're going to be tempted by your own, what, social abilities? Your own influences over others now that you've got wealth, now that you've got prominence? You're going to start using that now? For yourself, you're going to, Lift yourself up and you're going to encourage others to hoist you up in the process? Is this what we're going to do? Again, the King of Tyre is an illustration of what not to do when God chooses to place you in a position of power where wealth has the ability to corrupt you. And back to my little side note again regarding pastors specifically this is exactly why pastors shouldn't be selling the Word of God or their sermons or their books they write etc etc they shouldn't be selling a damn thing ever never should they be selling a thing let me ask you a question what happens eventually when a pastor's book sells a million copies, and they become millionaires. And they start buying a bunch of property and, uh, you know, the the whole nine yards, and people start holding them up. All of a sudden, you get 100,000 views on YouTube. Hey, have you seen so-and-so? Have you seen so-and-so lately? Have you followed so-and-so? Do you know Apollos? Do you know Paul? Have you heard of these guys? Apollos, man, that guy. Ooh, man, his. Spe- I could listen to him all day. Yeah, you know what? If Satan was standing before you, you wouldn't even pay attention to Apollos. You see the point. This is the danger of being a pastor. What happens when you make a million dollars off the word of God? What happens? Honestly, does God ever want, warrant peddling the word of God up here on the board? Does God ever warrant peddling the word of God, selling it, merchandising with it? Does he? No. Second Corinthians 2.17, we are not like, we are not like so many peddlers, kape leu'o in the Greek, retailers, To hawk, trade in, deal in for purposes of gain. That's from Strong's. That's what a peddler is, a retailer of the word of God. That is grotesque. And I know good pastors who otherwise I think they do a great job that sell their stuff. And it's grotesque and they're millionaires. And eventually they become corrupt. Eventually, it ends up affecting them somehow, some way. They end up way up here. And they start believing it. And then they start exercising power that's not theirs to influence others. To try to influence other pastors, even. Some of them open up seminaries so they can streamline pastors on this train of thought. Very dangerous ground. Do you understand, people? It's very dangerous ground. We are not like so many peddlers, retailers, who hawk, trade, and deal in for the purpose of gain, of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Pastors need to be especially careful of wealth. Because money has the tendency to corrupt and cloud the mind. That's what the Word of God says. Once a pastor turns all or part of his ministry into a retail shop, he's already set a vector that isn't true north. You know that's, I don't know about you, but that's one of the first things I do. Anytime someone says, hey, have you ever heard so-and-so's ministry? And I go, oh, let me go check it out. You know, one of the first things I look for is the retail shop. Are they selling anything? Are they, they, quote, unquote, Christian giants because they've got money and their websites are, like, better than what you'd see out of some of the billion-dollar industries out there? Their front page is, you know, and typically they're like this on the front page. You know what I'm getting at? What are you doing? Take that ridiculous mug off the front page. Nobody should be landing here for you, Apollos. They should be landing here for the truth and damn you for selling the word of God and making the rest of us look terrible to the rest of the world to turn Christianity into uh retail. Remember the, remember the figures I gave you? What was it like? It was billions and billions of dollars. I forget the number. Something like, seven? was it 750 billion? Some giant number. I think it was $750 billion. Um, once a pastor turns all or part of his ministry into a retail shop, he's already set a vector that isn't true north. The saddest thing is... That's how so-called, you know, mega-churches are formed. They are subsidized by peddling the Word of God. All right, let's get back to where we began here with the idea of beyond wealth is meddling in the affairs of others through politics even or social programming or whatever. Go to 1 Peter 4.15. 1 Peter 4.15. First Peter four, fifteen. First Peter four, verse fifteen. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Okay? Don't be a meddler, in other words. Up here on the board, allotriopiskopos, say that three times fast, means one who meddles in things alien to his calling. Don't be a meddler. One who meddles in things alien to his calling or in matters belonging to others. Factious. Factious means to cause fractures, right? To cause divisions. That person is factious. They're a meddler, right? When you start usurping God's authority to do things the way He wants, and go ahead and feel free to think about authority orientation, to say, oh, that person's an idiot. I'm just going to disregard what they have to say. I don't believe what that, that leader has to say, so I'm going to become a meddler. I'm going to start usurping God's rightfully ordained authority, so I can do this other stuff, and I'm going to start becoming, I'm going to cause a division. I'm going to become factious. That's a meddler. So step back now. What does pride do to this command that we not be meddlers? Now take all that we just talked about with the, the doctrine of pride, if you want to call it that, and think about what the Word of God just says. Don't be a meddler. What does pride do to this command not to meddle. Pride assumes a godlike position of power over others. That's how it meddles in the lives of others. Again, meddler means one who meddles in things alien to his calling or in matters belonging to others. And it's factious behavior. It's not unifying. Do you understand? It's factious. As soon as you overstep your boundaries, It becomes factious. You start disunifying the body of Christ. and We see this happen all over the place in our society. It's maybe the greatest reason for war this world has ever known. People overstepping their boundaries. Maybe the greatest reason for war this world has ever known. One super wealthy person or country decides in their arrogance that they ought to, you know, seize power over other persons or countries. And when that other country says, hey, wait a minute, no, we just bomb them. We just crush them. Why? Up here on the board. Because wealth breeds arrogance. What gives you the right? (laughs) Because you're rich? Honestly. What gives you the right? Because you got wealth? Seriously? That's your your reasoning? Well, I'm king of the hill. I can do what I want. I'm my own God. Up here on the board, have you ever noticed the connection between wealth and the assumption of power? Why is it that once a person or group of people obtains wealth, they self-assign themselves as authoritative? Why in the world am I listening to Oprah about spiritual things? Honest to goodness. Why is she on YouTube? Why are people listening? She's a talk show host who has denounced Jesus Christ on national television. Why are people listening to Oprah? Honest to goodness. (laughs) Because she's rich. Honest, because she's rich. Why, what other reason would there be? You wouldn't even know of her if she wasn't a billionaire. You'd never see her face. Thank God. Right? I mean, wealth breeds arrogance. Have you ever noticed the connection between wealth and the assumption of power? Why is it that once a person, a group of people, obtains wealth, they self-assign themselves as authoritative? Isn't this the exact same pattern we noted with Satan? Yep. Isn't it the same pattern we noted with the king of Tyre? Yep. Isn't it the same pattern I described regarding pastors who peddle the word of God? Indeed. That's the pattern. Do you understand? That's the pattern. I'm convinced of it. Most people cannot handle wealth. Something always goes corrupt. And it's not just the wealth, it's what comes with the wealth. It's that social respect, the creature credit, the world system that says, oh, well that's what all the rest of us are after, so we're going to hold you up like idols because you've got everything that we want. Do you understand? Next thing you know, you're you're the hero, you're the idol. And even though you started off good, with good intentions, the rest of the world is constantly saying, you're the man, you're the woman, you're the man, you're the woman. You're awesome. Look at all the money. Oh, I want to be like you, Mike. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. And Mike, that was a commercial. number. Michael Jordan? I want to be like Mike. I want to be like him. I want to be that guy. Next thing you know, you start believing your own height. That was Satan's problem. He started believing his own height. King of Tyre, same thing. Millionaire pastors, Mega churches. Same thing. Same stinking thing. The The problem with wealth is that it breeds arrogance. Even well-intentioned people who start out good, once put to the test, often fail it. Why is it that wealthy people, once perverted, behave as though they are above the law? Why is it that Poor people never seem to make that assumption. And this reflect on this. I alluded to this earlier. Why, oh why? I have all capitals in my notes. Why, oh why, pray tell, is money the variable in the equation? One person thinks they're above the law, one person doesn't. Why is it money? Like, aren't there other things? Like, I don't know. Nothing's holy, but do you know what I'm getting at? Why is it money? Why is money the variable that says, oh, you're above the law, you're not? Why is money the deciding factor? Why? Up here on the board. Why does the presence or absence of money affect our judgment on things that are clearly stated in the Bible? Why? Why do all of a sudden we become partial fools? Why does the presence or absence of money affect our judgment on things that are clearly stated in the Bible? Why do people assume so, uh, satanic positions of power just because they have wealth? Isn't that the mistake the king of Tyre made at the behest of the originator of sin, Satan himself? Yeah. Up here on the board, here's our example to follow. Here's Jesus' example. Jesus is the wealthiest person to ever walk the face of the earth. And you know I'm not talking about money. If he wanted all the money, he could have grabbed it, but he didn't. But he's the wealthiest person to ever walk the face of the earth. Not once did he try to seize political or social power. Not once. Not once did he try to seize political or social power. He preferred to focus on spreading the gospel. I came to seek and save the lost. That's what I came to do. Not once did he try to seize political or social power, yet he was the wealthiest person to ever walk the face of this planet. He preferred to focus on spreading the gospel. Here's a good question for you. Did Jesus ever sell the word of God? Nope. He was a carpenter. Did Paul, or the other apostles even, ever peddle the word of God? Nope. Paul was a tent maker. Does the Bible ever endorse men and women of God, gaining wealth and seizing power as a result? Nope. Nope. Just to help weave this together, here's the last few principles just to reorient ourselves. I'm going to go quickly, DJ. 2 Corinthians 2.17, up here on the board. For we are not, like so many, peddlers... Retailers to talk, to hawk, trade in, deal in for purposes of gain of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Next principle wealth breeds arrogance. Have you ever noticed the connection between wealth and the assumption of power? Why is it that once a person or group of people obtains wealth, they self-assign themselves as authoritative? Next point. Why does the presence or absence of money affect our judgment on things that are clearly stated in the Bible? (laughs) It's incredible what people will do with or for money that leads to power. And then finally, Jesus' example. Jesus is the wealthiest person to ever walk the face of the earth. Not once did he try to seize political or social power. He preferred to focus on spreading the gospel. And you call yourself, if you're a believer, a Christ Christian. I mean, he's our prototype. Amen? Amen. Uh, there you go. He's our prototype. So what should we behave like? Yeah. Uh, okay. Wow. Whoa. Wait. <laughs> whoa. Wait a minute. Whoa. Wait a minute. Yeah. Here's what the Bible has to say about this. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. 2 Thessalonians 3, Verse 12. I think a lot of people are getting baited nowadays. Even pastors, famous pastors even, getting baited into doing stupid stuff against the word of God. Here's what the Bible has to say about this. 2 Thessalonians 3.12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living. Do their work quietly and earn their own living. Stop being a meddler, right? This is the exact opposite of meddling, is it not? Don't be a busybody, as it says elsewhere in Scripture. Don't be a meddler. This is the exact opposite. If you're doing your work quietly, as under the Lord, are you meddling in the affairs of others? No. No. No, is your motivation to gain wealth so that you can obtain power? No, that's the point. It's the exact opposite of meddling. So what should a God-fearing Christian be doing with their precious time here on Earth? The simple truth, honestly, the culminating truth, we're supposed to love one another. That's it. We're supposed to love one another. Jesus Christ said, "If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Take courage. Your brothers and sisters are going through the same stuff. But that can't we fix that? Can't we become social justice warriors? Can't we get into political offices? Can't we do? Did Jesus do any of that? No. He worked on the souls of individuals. What was his motivation? The gospel. Our job is to love one another. Our job is to spread the gospel, which is just another way of saying what Jesus stated up here on the board in John 3.16. For God himself so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not peri- or should not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the greatest expression of true love we've ever known. And how does it work? Does it, does it work through uh, you know, political checks and balances? No. Does it work through social programming? Nope. It works one soul at a time. It works one soul at a time. Each soul figures out that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How about that? Sounds like that's what Jesus came to do. It sounds like that's part of the Great Commission, that's part of the message of the Great Commission, that that's our lot in life. We're going to be persecuted. So you can either waste your time and try to fix it with your human engineering because now you've got power, because now you're wealthy, or you can do like Jesus did, work on souls one soul at a time. Instead of being a meddler who is causing divisions in the church. Why don't you focus on your calling? If you're a pastor, your calling is that church. If you're an evangelist, outside, go for it. One soul at a time. Do we need to be meddling in politics or social programs in order to give a person the gospel? Absolutely not. Is a local assembly the place where Jesus sent his disciples with the Great Commission? No. He did not. He didn't say, hey, now that you've got it, turn around come back in. He said, go out to the ends of the earth. Go out to the ends of the earth. And for the record, that's the only time you get to disobey the authorities of government when someone tries to stop the gospel. But I'm going to tell you this again. That's not the function of a local assembly. The Great Commission is out there. Do you understand? You're wearing masks. Why? Because we're law-abiding citizens. That's why. When the governor said you can't be open right now because it's going to cause a problem, what did we do? I got online. I used technology. Imagine that. God found a way to get the Word of God to you. And some of you even told me you benefited. You grew in a certain way. Missed people, glad to be back, but during that time you grew. Imagine that. Imagine that. And I didn't have to sell anything. I didn't have to become real popular on YouTube. I didn't have to become political. I didn't have to go on, uh, you know, Fox News. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. Right? God found a way. But God, man, don't we love our little idols? Don't thousands and thousands of people love these megachurches? Oh, that guy's the best. Apollos, he's the man. You know how many Apollos there are in this world? A lot. A lot. I think God has something to say about that, to be honest with you. But I'll leave that for another day. Again, is the local assembly a place where Jesus sent his disciples with the Great Commission? Nope. He said, "Go outside of the churches." We ought to love. That's look at go to John thirteen thirty four. John thirteen thirty four. In this church, we're to love each other, right? Out there, we're supposed to love our enemies. Why? Because that's what will motivate us to give them the gospel. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Imagine this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? How? if you have love for one another. Whoa, wait a minute, what? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Does Jesus say people know you are his disciples once you rise to political and or social power? Does it? No, And doesn't say, wow, look how great that guy is. He must be one of Jesus's, look at him, look how popular he is, look how big his church is, look how rich he is. God is blessing him out. He must be the real deal, look at him. Look at his ministry. Look at him, thousands of people listen to him every week. He's like a little God. He's hoisted way up there. And he's not telling his congregation, stop it! Enough! He's not saying that. He's saying, yeah, I kind of am swell. And I am a millionaire. And I do have some political clout. And I do have some power. I think I'm going to usurp a little of God's power. And I'm going to defect from my position of humility. And I'm going to go outside of my calling. And I'm going to begin to meddle. Which, in the end, causes fractures in the body. Listen, there's no room for superheroes. The one case we had of that, Paul went... No. But Apollo, see, stop enough. God causes the growth. He planted, I watered, God caused the growth. Stop lifting people up. You're so pathetic. You're such idolaters, right? Don't think that doesn't happen in Christianity. Oh, people love their famous Christian pastors, you know, the ones on television. Paul smashed the idea. smashed it again does jesus say people know you are his disciples once you rise to political and or social power you know after you've made enough money to assert yourself to these ungodly thrones nope jesus said it best verse 35 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another our, if you want to call it that, if you want to speak in economic terms, right? Our merchandising has nothing to do with money. Or the creature credit, the world economy that goes along with it. Our economy is based on love, where grace is the currency, the expression of said love. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4:9. 1 Thessalonians 4:9. There's no place for heroes. Do you understand? Take that thing out of your vernacular when it comes to true Christianity. As soon as a pastor or an evangelist or anybody becomes too big for their britches, there's a problem. If they're not the first person to say, everybody just stop, everybody just stop, <laughs> then there's a problem. 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to what? Live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Mind your own business. (laughs) Live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands Remember, uh, in context, uh, the Greeks would have thought that was beneath them. You know what I'm saying? Like working with your hands. That was like for the lowlifes. Paul said, do it. This isn't about money anyways. This is not prestige anyways. Do a job where you can sleep at night. Anyways, to aspire to live uh, quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. In other words, don't be meddlers. Love is manifest in living quietly. Listen, I've got to close. Jesus wasn't a political animal. The Pharisees were. The apostles never made money and then assumed social power. The Jewish leaders did that. We likewise are to do as the Bible teaches. Live out our lives quietly, working as unto the Lord, spreading the gospel. That's what the Bible teaches us. And my friends, that's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. Greater love is known than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, Father, back to our homes, and maybe out to the world, Father. Your will be done. That's just decaying. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.